All right, guys, we are outside tonight, which is nice. Uh, we're doing kind of the we're doing the 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 Paul as our example. He'd preach outside, you know, in the synagogues and in the courtyards and uh, in the amphitheaters. Yeah, this is cool. So, uh, how many of you guys got your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles. Bibles in the house. Uh, turn with me to Galatians, and we're gonna be in. Who knows where we are in Galatians? Three. No, we were Galatians three last time. Galatians four. All right. So, um, before we dive into Galatians 4 all the way, um, I have a few things i got to go over with you. And you all know what I'm going to go over with you, right? Yeah. Galatians is a book that has how many chapters? Six. has six. And in those six chapters, we have how many different distinct groups? We have three distinct groups. In those three distinct groups, we have the first one, which is chapters one and two. Second one is? Three and four. The last one is five and six. Who can tell me what the first section of Galatians is? All right. Dan's uh, over here, and he's getting it wrong. How awesome is that? It's personal. And the second is doctrinal. And the third is practical. Because everyone knows in a good math class, let's hold those balls. Uh, in a good math class, when we have something that is personal, and we add it to something that's practical. No, I said that wrong. Doctrinal, we equal practical. Personal, yeah. So, we're going to dive in tonight. Um, Paul teaching the Galatian church. Uh, how many of you guys remember our sermon series? What's it called? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the gospel. It's all about Jesus, nothing else. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, which gave us salvation. A person paid a price for a purpose. Amen. Remember, we talked about how uh, in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul talks about grace and peace, uh, how grace is the spring and peace is the river that flows from the grace that we have. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to dive into some of those benefits of grace and uh, the ways that we can live within peace when we hit chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to read chapter 4, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into what God has to say in His Word, and then, then we're going to play a game. But we're going to do the Word study first. How's that sound? Awesome. Let's uh, let's read with me uh, or follow along as I read. This is what it says. Picking up in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says this. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from the slave, though he is master of all, but is under the guardians and the stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. We're going to say this, picking up in verse 8. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, 
how it is that you turn against the weak and the beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. You observe the days and the months and the seasons of the years, and I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of my physical infirmity I preached the gospel to you at first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God. God, even as Christ Jesus himself. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth until uh, again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Oosh, that's harsh. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, and one by the bondwoman and another by the free woman. But he who had, uh, he who was of the bond, flipping the page, woman was born according to the flesh, and he who was of the free woman was born according to the promise. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants: the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, and uh, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now. Uh, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout. You who uh, are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, if we are not children of the bondwoman, but we are children of the free. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that tonight as we uh, as we unpack some of these things, lots of things to study tonight, uh, God, I pray that you would reveal truth to us. God, that you by your Holy Spirit would speak to us from the pages of scripture. Uh, God, and that we would be encouraged and built up in our most holy faith. Uh, God, I pray that we would be inspired. God, that we would be challenged. Uh, God, and that we would be encouraged. Uh, God, that we would leave this place different than when we came. Uh, God, and we would be more ready to live our lives for you and to live our lives more like you. Uh, God, we pray this. Um, and God, I pray that none of it would be of me, but God, that your word would speak. So God, we thank you. We praise you. And we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Yes. We are tying this in my church you, last time. You guys are going over this in your church? We're like a week ahead. Oh, nice. All right. So I'm playing catch up to you guys. That's fun. Um, all right. So we've had Paul talk about uh, some personal things. He, he laid out who he was. He laid out uh, his authority in apostleship. He laid out his authority as a church planter and as a pastor. Now what he's done is he's rolled into the practical side of things. And the practical or, 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 or the doctrinal side of things, uh, Paul really breaks down the doctrine of faith. He breaks down the doctrine of salvation, of, of freedom from the law. And he's done that in chapter 3, and he's going to do it even more in chapter 4. 
4. For us to understand what chapter 4 is all about, we have to jump back to chapter 3. So chapter 3 says this in verse 26. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What that means now is that we are heirs of all the blessings of God through Jesus Christ. He says this, and he picks up, he says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from the slaves, though he is the master of all, but is under the guardians and the stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we were children, uh, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. So what Paul's talking about when he says the elements, he, he's literally talking about the ABCs, the building blocks of the world. We were once our, our flesh, Ephesians talks about it, we were... Uh, uh, children of wrath and of darkness uh, we were completely separate from God we were subject to the elements of the world sin decay death all of it but something happened something happened and just like a child even though he might be an heir he is still in bondage per se until the time comes where he can be of age. So he has people who are like his tutors and those people who are over him, who are in charge of him. Uh, even though he is the heir, which means he is going to be a higher ranking official than these people. Let's put it in uh, more practical terms than heir and all this. Uh, let's say we have a king. Let's say he has a son who's the prince. Well, the king is the, the, the rightful heir to the throne, right? But... The prince, when he's three years old, can't rule a kingdom, right? I mean, let's be honest. A three-year-old can't rule a kingdom. But he still has the authority of the ruler because it's his blood, but he's still under bondage in the household. So he has people who are over him, people who tutor him, who teach him, all sorts of things. But when the time comes and he has his coronation service, uh, he is now able to rule. Paul then correlates this sort of thing with, with us as people who were once dead in our trespasses. We were once under the elements of the world, but in the fullness of time, Christ came, which is super cool. Uh, the fullness of time. Uh, how many of you guys have a pen with you uh, in your Bible? Uh, in verse 4, I want you guys to underline, but when the fullness of time had come. That's a very important portion of scripture. I want to spend a little bit of time sitting here talking about this uh, because chapters three and four, Paul's dealing strictly with doctrine and we're going to deal with doctrine and I'm going to get a little bit heavy and heady, um, but that's okay. Uh, if you're taking notes, I, I think that's great. I encourage you to be taking the notes because uh, you can go back and look at this stuff later. Maybe you're not taking notes now. We're recording the services. You can listen to them online uh, and take notes on that as well if you'd like. But when it's talking about the fullness of time, people ask the question, and the question has been begged, why did Jesus come or why was Jesus sent when he was sent? Why wasn't he sent earlier? Why wasn't he sent at some point earlier in the Old Testament? Why was Jesus sent then? Why wasn't Jesus sent at a later point? The crazy thing about this is God, as the creator of everything and as the orchestrator of everything, uh, he kind of knew uh, the perfect storm, I guess you could say. Uh, kind of like the stars were aligned. Um, this, when, when Jesus came in the, in, in the first century uh, AD, tail end of the, the last century BC, like Jesus comes at, at, at a time that was so perfect and so ready for Jesus to come for God to become man and walk amongst us. Uh, if Jesus would have come a hundred years later, it wouldn't have been effective. If, if Jesus would have come a hundred years earlier, probably wouldn't have been that effective. How then uh, was it the perfect time? How was it the fullness of time that Jesus came? Check this out. Uh, 
when Jesus came, where did he come? What's that? Okay, okay, so, so so he's born in a manger, but where where is this manger? Bethlehem. Yeah, it's in Bethlehem, which is a part of uh, in in outskirt, um, but it's it's a part of Palestine uh, as a province, Judea of the Roman Empire. So so he's born into the region of the Jews, Judea, inside this greater thing known as the Roman Empire. Uh, now I'm going to talk. I'm going to throw out a nice little word for you guys. Ready for this? Diaspora. Everyone say diaspora. diaspora. Yes. Anyone know what diaspora means? What does diaspora mean? Diaspora is not a medicine. That's a really good guess. Diaspora is. Uh, it, it, it definitely sounds like a like a medicine. No, the diaspora was the Jews who had been taken into captivity by the Assyrians. But when the Assyrian Empire fell, they got scattered throughout the known world. So you had the dispersion of Jews, and every city where there was at least ten Jewish men, they set up a synagogue. So you had Jewish communities all throughout the world. Then this guy in in the 300s BC, by the name of Alexander the Great came from Thrace and Macedonia, conquered all of the known world, and made everyone speak Greek. So now you have Jews scattered across the world. Now you have a universal language. Then you have these guys, the Romans, who come over and they take over and they build roads connecting every single city. And then you have Jesus show up. And Jesus shows up, does his preaching ministry. Hey, he can travel from uh, Nazareth uh, to Galilee on a road, which the Romans made. He can go from here to there, and they all speak the same language. And there's Jewish communities everywhere he goes. So then when Jesus fulfills his ministry, the spread of Christianity is able to happen because Jesus came in the fullness of time. Paul wouldn't have been able to be an effective missionary if it wasn't for the Roman Empire and the transportation that he had. Paul wouldn't have had groups to go missionary to if there wasn't Jewish communities all throughout the world. And he would have had a hard time preaching if he was preaching and they didn't understand him what he was saying. So we're talking about the fullness of time, perfect storm, stars aligned. God put it all together because God knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. Well, so reality is fullness of time is such a deep uh, theological, doctrinal, historical uh, thing that so often we're just like, yeah, Christ came in the fullness of time. But when we fully understand what that means, it's like Christ couldn't have come any other time. It's so awesome. Okay, so God sent him forth, uh, his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about adoption. Remember, we're doing this just doctrinal, doctrinal, doctrinal. It's going to be fun. Um, we're told in the book of Ephesians that we uh, are adopted as sons of God, and with that, we receive every spiritual blessing. Uh, first century and Jewish adoption in the ancient world was different than adoption today. When we think of adoption today, we think of uh, someone who uh, maybe is a foster child, maybe someone uh, who, uh, I mean, there, there's so many different ways people are adopted today. Um, what adoption was, though, for the Jewish communities and, and for this time, how many of you guys uh, know about like birthrights and firstborns and all of that? Okay. Uh, let's say you had a family and it was all girls, right? Uh, now, according to Jewish law, uh, a male has to inherit um, the birthright. Now, there's some little, tiny little uh, loopholes in the law that God put there that actually allow uh, some really cool things to take place. But we're not going to talk about those now. What a father could do is a father could adopt a son. 
And when he adopts the son, it then takes him as if it is his own son and he gets the birthright and he gets all the blessing that comes with being a blood son. So in essence, what is happening here, Jesus is the heir to the throne of God. But when God adopts us as sons, it means God sees us and blesses us as if we are equal to Jesus Christ. Which I think is really cool because Jesus says all authority has been given to me. In essence, when we give our heart to Jesus, all authority is given to us as well. But so often as Christians, we don't operate in that. And we don't function in that. Paul says every spiritual blessing... Every spiritual richness is ours. How many times do we think we don't have something or or uh, God hasn't gifted us a certain way? Here's the reality. God has given us every single gifting. Well, the, the, the call is for us to operate in faith. But that's, that's a lot of unpacking of just this little phrase, adoption as sons. Uh, I, what I want to do now uh, is jump to verse 7. Um, and say, therefore, you are no longer slaves, but you are a son, and if a son, you are heir with God in Christ. Uh, Paul's going to then switch from this doctrinal standpoints, and he's going to jump back to some personal things. So we have this pretty nice narrative, chapter 1, chapter 2, personal, chapter uh, 3 and 4, doctrinal. But Paul does something here uh, in chapter 4 uh, that is cool. He's going to tell us about his time when he was with uh, this Galatian church. Bear with me as I read through this again, uh, and, and, and I want to really unpack a few things. It says this, But then indeed, uh, you did not know God, but you serve those which by nature are not gods. So it's talking about our life before Christ. Uh, specifically, as he's writing to the Galatians, uh, they served idols. Um, but now, after you have known God, or rather you are known by God, another cool thing, uh, God knows us uh, before we know him. God loves us before we loved him. I think that's really cool. He says, uh, uh, How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? He, he's talking, remember, these are people who are trying to slip back into the ritualism of Judaism. They're going back to the rites. They're doing uh, the law. And Paul's saying, hey, we're set free. You don't need that anymore. Uh, he says, you observe the days and the months and the seasons of the years. He says, cut it out. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored in vain. Now he's getting personal again. He says, I've laid out the doctrine for you, and now I can see that you're not listening to me. Did I labor amongst you in vain? And then he's going to start talking about how uh, he was sick. He's going to start describing funny things that like we're like, wait, what's Paul even talking about here? Uh, and, I, and I want to touch on them so we don't have questions, you know, like underlining like, what is Paul talking about? He's like, you would give me your eyes. It's kind of a weird phrase, but we're going to get there in just a second. So he says this, um, you know that because physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first uh, and my trial, which was in the flesh you did not despise or reject but you received me as an angel of god even as christ jesus so paul at the time he was in galatia uh and you can read this in acts chapter 13 and 14 uh paul was very sick and we don't know exactly what paul was sick with uh but he talks about physical deformity he talks about being uh beat he talks about uh being kind of an ugly person to look at uh paul was not a presentable guy 
and he's speaking to Greeks in like the heart of uh, Greek culture and Greek community. Uh, and the Greeks were very much, if you've ever seen like a Greek sculpture, they're like very like muscles on top of muscles. They're very like chiseled. Uh, and that's, that's the way the Greeks really viewed life. You had to be chiseled. You had to be athletic. You had to be uh, someone who was just on top of your game in everything. And they really didn't give you the time of day if you weren't. But Paul says, I was a little bit timid at first because I wasn't measuring up to what culture and society said I should look like. But he spoke the gospel with boldness and he was surprised that they heard him and they listened to him. Not only did they hear him and listen to him, they received him as an angel of God. So much so that we see uh, in the book of Acts, some people wanted to worship him and set up altars to him and uh, praise him as a God. And he's like, cut it out. What are you doing? I'm not a God. I'm just a dude. So so much they elevate him to the same level as like Hermes, the Greek god of like um, uh, messenger. Uh, he, he's the messenger of the gods. When Zeus has something to say to the people, he gives it to Hermes. And Hermes uses a little like flying shoe boots and he like flies down to earth. And he's like, hey, here's some messages from God. Uh, that's not really a real thing. But uh, that, that was their pantheon. That's how they viewed things. And they view that Paul, man, maybe he is a messenger of the gods. Maybe he is an angel coming here in the form of this weird deformed man uh it says they received him even as christ jesus paul's like hey i think that's pretty cool and it's awesome that you accepted me he goes on to talk about um (laughs) what then was the blessing that you enjoyed for i bear witness that if possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me what does this mean Um, Well, as a good historian, we can look at this and be like, oh, Paul must be talking about something that was wrong with himself. How many of you guys have ever had like a parent when you had like the flu, they dropped the, if I could, I'd take this away from you and I'd have the flu for you. Anyone ever have like the parent say they take the sickness for you? Well, what what Paul's saying is the people in Galatia, they, they were so kind to Paul and they were so nice to Paul and so receiving of Paul that they would have taken something from him and given him what they had. We can assume Paul had something that was wrong with his eyes. Maybe saw uh, uh, Paul suffered from great migraines, uh, and 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 what's that? Or, or or he had some something wrong with his vision. Maybe he had some sort of macular degeneration. Maybe he had Graves' disease, where like the 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 the, the eyes actually bulge out of their sockets. Uh, it's a real thing. Uh, and and Paul says, "Man, I was kind of a deformed dude, and you guys loved me and received me so much." That you would have given, you would have sacrificed for me. And Paul's like, that's awesome. But now, you've turned away. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? At one point, you were all about me. But now when I try and tell you the truth, you're just trying to go back to the law that you were set free from. How often in our Christian lives do we try to go back to the things that we were set free from? The bondage that so easily entangles us, um, the sin that once uh, was something that we enjoyed or, or, or maybe we didn't enjoy, we wanted to stop, but now we're set free from it, we tend to gravitate back towards that. Paul's saying, hey, stop putting yourself back into bondage. You're set free. Now live in the freedom that you have in me.
Flip me, uh, flip with me, if you will, in your Bibles uh, to John. We're going to look at something uh, in John chapter 8. Uh, this has become uh, and has more recently become uh, one of my favorite portions of Scripture. We're going to read John chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse uh, 31 through 36. But before we look at verses 31 through 36, we have to lay uh, kind of the groundwork and the framework for what John chapter 8 is talking about. There's a really famous story in Scripture that happens just a few verses earlier. A few verses earlier, we have Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. Anyone heard that story before? So this woman's caught in adultery. She's dragged before Jesus. She was caught in the very midst. The, um, uh, uh, the Pharisees are like, hey, Jesus, guess what? We got this girl. She was doing some bad things. Uh, the law says we should kill her. What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus is like, you know what? I'm going to ignore you guys. Jesus gets down. He starts drawing in the sand, doing the thing. They're like, yo, Jesus, we're talking to you. And he's like, hey, he who is without sin amongst you, throw the first stone. And they're like, oh, okay. And so they just start dropping their stones and they walk away. Then Jesus says to the woman, hey, woman, where are those who accuse you? And she says, there, there are none. Jesus says, go and sin no more. So Jesus gives grace. Jesus gives forgiveness. Jesus says, hey, I've set you free. Now go live in freedom. What we're going to see in verse 31 is we have these people. Uh, it said, now there were those Jews who believed him. And Jesus said to the Jews who believed him. So these are people who saw what happened. And they're like, hey, that's awesome. Uh, we want that. We want forgiveness. We want salvation. Uh, Jesus said, if you abide in, the, uh, in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. There's a lot to talk about there, but we're not going to talk about the night. And he said, and you shall know truth and the truth shall set you free. Then they answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How then can you say we are free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. Okay, this is kind of the same thing Paul is talking about here. Uh, slaves and free. Uh, Jesus said, if you commit sin, you're a slave to sin. Uh, when it means to commit sin, uh, sin is missing the mark. Uh, slave is the Greek word doulos, which means to continually be in a state pertaining to, or, or so, um, you can't stop. You're just doing it. Um, Jesus said this in verse 35, he said, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. See this juxtaposition between slaves and sons yet again. Uh, he says, therefore, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So. Jesus is saying, hey, where are those who are condemning you? Go and sin no more. Paul's saying the same thing to the Galatian church. He's saying, hey, you are no longer slaves to sin. You have been set free. And now that you've been set free, you will receive from the Lord many a thing. Now, I want to talk about the word abide because the word abide uh, really has to do uh, with, with what Paul's talking about here in Galatians uh, uh, chapter 4. Uh, the word abide is the Greek word meno. Everyone say meno. Meno. It's a, it's a, it's a cool word. I love it. Uh, it means to be actively, continually, uh, intentionally remaining. Uh, that's, that's a lot of descriptive and awesome words to be actively, continually, intentionally remaining. So we're told, or Jesus tells us to abide in his word and we'll be his disciples. How many of you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Awesome, right? So we're told to abide in his word, which means to actively. So when we pick up God's word, we actually pick it up, right? Uh, continually, which means we make it a habit. It's a part of our everyday life. 
uh, intentionally, which means we're not just coming to it to check something off of a list, but we're actually having intention when we read God's word. To remain means we meditate on it. We soak it up. First uh, John tells us that uh, he says, I write unto you, uh, young men because or 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 young people uh because you have overcome the wicked one you are strong and the word of god abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one Uh, when we abide in the lord this is how we maintain um and and continue in our freedom Uh, trying to do it on our own we can't do it on our own how how do we stay abiding with the lord we actually do it we stay in his word Uh, we we spend time in his presence and when we do that our freedom we realize it more and more often Um, so let's say let's say you have someone who's a slave he's in shackles hands and feet he's chained up someone comes frees him says hey you're free go live in freedom well He's faced with two options. One, hang out with his slave friends, stand next to his chains, still hang over here, or go live in freedom. Now, chances are, if he stays over here around the slaves and the chains that once held him, he might be able to be convinced by his buddies, hey, we're in chains, man. Why don't you, like, oh, all right, I'll put my chains back on. Or the person who's the, the slave driver or whatnot might come and put the chains back on him. But if he goes and he lives in freedom, spends time actually doing free person things like I want to go to Mormon Falls, I want to do this, I want to do that, and actually lives in his freedom, then the likelihood of him putting the chains back on are less and less. What Paul's saying is, hey, you, you guys heard it, you were set free, faith has made you free, grace has made you free, but you're hanging around the law. And because you're hanging around the law and these people have come in and are trying to rechain you to the law... You're just slipping right back in. What are you guys doing? It's good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. Paul's saying, hey, you'd do it if I was here. You'd live in freedom if I was around you. Why, when I leave, do you fall back into bad behavior? How many of us know uh, we can do that Like when it comes to our parents, when it comes to our teachers, our coaches, our bosses, all sorts of things? We can be on good behavior when we have to be, right? But then when the people who we're trying to impress or uh, be good in front of leave, we can kind of slip back into laziness and all sorts of uh, bad revelries, right? Yeah, I mean, it happens. And Paul says, why? Be striving to do good in all things at all times. We're told in the book of Hebrews that we have a great cloud of witnesses around us. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're told by the Apostle Paul to do all things wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. So it doesn't matter if there's someone physically around us. We're living our lives for the Lord. Why should we slip back into slavery? What I really want to focus on, let's see how I'm doing time-wise. Oh, guys, we're doing great. Uh, What I really want to focus on is these last few verses, verses 21 uh, through 31. Um, Paul tells the story, and he uses it symbolically, the story of Abraham and Hagar. Uh, and, and their son together, Ishmael, and then Abraham and Sarai and their son together, Isaac. Um, and, and he juxtaposes Ishmael and Isaac. How many of you guys remember the story? God says to, to Abraham, hey, I know you're old. I know your wife's barren and I know you can't have kids, but I'm going to give you a kid. I'm going to give you the son of promise and in him, all of the nations will be blessed uh, and his seed will be a blessing to the world. Uh, Abraham says, that sounds like a great idea. Sarah laughs. She says, yeah, that ain't going to happen. 
so some time goes by and Abraham's like, man, God promised me, but he's not coming through. I guess I'm going to try and do it on my own. Because, you know, God, he created everything, but he promised and he's not actually going to come through with it. Okay. So Sarah says, all right, yeah, why don't you take like one of my maidservants, take her as your wife and have a kid with her. It works for me. Uh, so Abraham does. And he has a son named Ishmael. And Abraham loves Ishmael. And Abraham does all this stuff with Ishmael. He's like, hey, look, woohoo, son of promise. Well, God says, Abraham, what you doing, man? That's not what I said. That's not how I said it was going to happen. I said, your wife, Sarah. Abraham's like, oh, yeah, I messed up there. What happens? They have a kid, Isaac, the son of promise. Abraham's like, Isaac, I love you, Ishmael. You're kind of cool, but Isaac, I love you. <laughs> Ishmael doesn't like it. Ishmael's like this teenager and this little kid. He's like, dude, dad likes the little kid more than me. So Ishmael starts picking on him, starts being mean to him. Sarah says, this is messed up. Kick him out. Kick him out. Um, what Paul does is he takes a story and he, and, and, and he, he deconstructs it uh, from a doctrinal standpoint. He says, there is children of the flesh and there is children of the spirit. And we are children of the spirit. And there's a war that's going on inside of us between our spirit and between the flesh. And it's warring and we need to try and figure out who are we going to let win. If, if we do as the Lord says, and if, if we spend time and we abide with the Lord, well, then we're going to feed the Spirit. But if we continue to hang around and do the things that are sinful or, 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 or that we're tempted in, uh, we start feeding the flesh, and the flesh is going to win out. He says this. I think these are really cool verses. Verse 28, he says, Now we are children of promise, just like Isaac was. He says, but as for he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. Uh, ever so it is now. It never stopped. It's always going on. It's going to always go on in our lives. There's always going to be this battle going on. Um, he then encourages, cast out the bondwoman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. What I'm going to do is I'm going to jump into chapter 5 because the story doesn't stop there. I'm going to read chapter 5, verse 1, uh, because really, you guys remember I told you last week about numbers and chapters and all that kind of stuff, how they aren't actually uh, inspired. Really, this should go all the way into verse 1, okay? It says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or the freedom by which Christ has made you free, and do not entangle again with a yoke of bondage. How many of you guys know what a yoke is? Who wants to give me uh, a good definition of a yoke? I was hoping someone would say that. Yes, awesome. Amelia, what do you got? That's right. Like you have two cows and it's this wood thing that walks around the neck. Correct. So you have this awesome little wooden thing that sits on the necks of the two cows. And they have this nice little metal or leather or rope, depending on where you are, that wraps around the bottom and it hooks on. And then from that, you got the plow. Okay? And these cows work together to pull in tandem. Now... Jesus says, Jesus says, hey, take my yoke. <coughs> he says, it's easy. It's easy. Take my yoke and uh, walk with me. Walk with me. And uh, sounds like a great plan, right? Well, Paul's saying, hey, when you start going back to those things, what you do in all reality is you put yourself in a yoke with slavery to sin. And how many of you guys know? That as strong as you may be, sin, without Christ, sin is stronger. And sin is going to pull you down. 
So let's think about two cows. Oh, man, actually, this will be fun. Uh, Thomas, can I use these as an example? Yeah. It's going to be fun. All right. Yeah, two eggs. We're two eggs, one yolk. Okay. Uh, link arms with me, right? Okay. And we're going to walk this way. Okay. Can we're we just going to. Uh, no, we can't skip. Um, now we're going to walk together and we're going to walk straight. Sound good? Okay. Yes. All right. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> right, right? <laughs> like, I'm stronger than Thomas. Thomas, I said we're walking this way, right? Yeah. Okay, now don't let me take you off track. No. Right? No. Right? <laughs> right? I, I can take Thomas wherever I want. <laughs> because I'm a little stronger. Since we're in yoke together, I can take That's him somewhere he doesn't want to go. Right? Right? So, same, same with sin. Sin will take us places we don't want to go. We have a destination. But if we entangle ourselves to sin, no matter how... Thomas was fighting me. I could feel him fighting me. But it's nothing against Thomas. I'm just older, bigger, and stronger. And I've been doing life a little bit... I've been walking a little bit longer than you have. How old are you? He's 32. 16, I think. No. no, 15. I don't know. 14 almost. Okay, 14, almost 15. Uh, I'm 27. And I started walking when I was probably one and a half, maybe a little earlier than that. So I've got you by at least 10 years. So I have way more experience. Sin, Satan, he's been doing it since the beginning. He's got about, he's got about 6,000 years on us. So try doing it on your own. You can't. That's why Jesus says, hey, take up my yoke. Take up my yoke. It's nice and easy. So here we go. Thomas, I'm going to use you as an example one more time. We're going to get in our yoke, right? But now I'm not sitting. Now I'm Jesus, right? Here, yeah. I'm, going to, I, I'm going to come this way, right? Okay. okay. So now it's Jesus and Thomas, and we're walking. And Jesus is like, oh, I got you, Thomas. Here ah. we go. Here we go. <laughs> come on, Jesus. Right? Yeah. Walk him over the threshold. Thank you for being an example. That was fun. That was great. Right? But, guys, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. We can either go to the thing that's going to drag us down... Or we can go to the one who's going to lift us up. And we make the choice. We make the choice who we're going to go with. Jesus saves us. And Jesus continues to carry us. And continues to call us and beckon to us. But we can choose to turn a deaf ear to it. And Paul says, why? He says, oh foolish Galatians. Why have you gone back? The encouragement to us is spend some time with Jesus. Abide with him. Here's the really cool thing about that word abide. John chapter 14, I want to close with this. John chapter 14 tells us that the father wants to abide with us. And it says, if we abide with the father, the father will abide with us. That means that God, the creator of everything, wants to actively, continually, intentionally remain with us that means that god wants to actually do something in our life that's active that's cool god wants to do something in your life not only does he want to do something once he wants to do it continually god wants to be continually doing things in your life god doesn't just want to do things to do things he has intention god has a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives and god wants to do it and here's the cool thing god wants to remain with you God wants to spend time with us, but we get distracted. I want to encourage you guys tonight, and I think Paul encourages us, and I think Jesus encourages us. Spend time with the Lord. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in worship. Spend time in the presence of God. And when you do that, you begin to feel Jesus lift you up as you walk on your destination.
you begin to take off the guy who likes to take you in circles around the group rather than going to your destination. You lay that aside, lay down those things that so easily entangle you, and run the race with endurance that is set before us. You've got a pretty good marathon partner in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, before we pray, before we pray, you guys feel like you got a pretty good understanding on the doctrine that Paul's talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay, solid. Um, really, if you remember anything tonight, uh, you can remember me picking up Thomas and me pushing Thomas around. Because that's the reality. Sin's going to push you around and drive you away from where you want to go. But the Lord's going to pick us up. It's all about who we yoke up with. Right? Hashtag yoke up. Amen. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much uh, for this evening. Uh, God, thank you for the sun that we've had today. Um, God, thank you for allowing the earth to spin so that we can all actually stay here. Um, But, Father, I wish we came out a little earlier because the sun has gone down and it is cold. Um... No, God, on, on, on a real note, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, we thank you that you inspired the writers of Scripture all those years ago. Uh, God, just to to instruct us, to exhort us, to encourage us, to build us up in our holy faith. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that your word is perfect. Your word is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, God, I pray that as your word reveals to us the motives and the intents of our heart, God, that we would yoke up with you, that we would lay aside the yoke of bondage, uh, and God, that we would yoke with you. And as we yoke with you, God, that we would, God, just remain in your presence, that we would remain in your presence with intentionality. God, that we would not only remain with intention, but God, that we would be continually, actively seeking out the things of you. God, and thank you that your word tells us that if we do that, God, you abide with us. Uh, And God, we just welcome your action in our life. We welcome your continual involvement in our life. God, we thank you that you are intentional and you have a plan and a purpose for us. And God, we thank you that you want to remain with us. Uh, God, we strive to live our lives remaining with you. So God, we thank you. We praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.